Well, hey, Miles City Family Online, so glad that you're tuning in. Want to give a shout out to Art and Diane Richard out there and Mike and Becky Kalis. Know that your Miles City family loves you guys so much. And uh, as we continue in our Colors of Joy series, and I, I got to ask a question out there. Can I borrow a penny? Anyone out there? Could anyone be willing to give me a penny that I could borrow out there? Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate this. And, you know, I, I know I asked if I could borrow it, but would you be willing if I could just have this penny? Can I just have this penny? Thank you so much for letting me have this penny. Now, is, is there anyone else out there that happens to have a $100 bill? Anyone else have a $100 bill out there that I could borrow? Thank you very much. That is so cool of you to let me borrow. But I'm going to ask. Now, I don't want to just borrow. Can I, can I have this $100 bill? Can I just keep this $100 bill from you? Now, if, if, if this was really happening and you were giving me either a $100 bill or a penny, you could feel the tension that would arise in your spirit. Yes, this penny has a little bit of value, but it doesn't mean that much to us. We'll just walk right by pennies. But if we see this on the ground, we're going to fight for it. We're going to go after this $100 bill. Now, what's interesting is that this $100 bill, its value fluctuates on any given day in its value. And that has to do with the word inflation. Now, when we think of the word inflation, all you got to do is turn on the news. You either hear about COVID or you hear about inflation. And I know most of us know what inflation is, but just in case you don't, just here's like a simple definition. Inflation is the loss of purchasing power of the currency that results in an increase of prices. So what's really interesting is that because of inflation in our country, this, uh, the, the inflation rate last year went up about 8%. So this $100 bill has an 8% less buying power than it did the year prior. And if things were to continue to go in the direction that it was heading, most likely it wouldn't, but if it did, then this $100 bill could actually lose its value and actually just be worth this. And we've seen this in countries happen throughout history. One of the latest ones was in Venezuela, where they're, due to bad leadership and inflation, you know, their bills literally became not even worth pennies, where you would hear sad stories of Venezuelans going to the grocery store with laundry bags or wheelbarrows filled with cash just to buy a loaf of bread. Now, uh, why do I say that? Do I say that to freak you out to go sell your stocks and buy gold? No, no, no. What do I mean? What do I mean by this? Why are we talking about this? Because there's another treasure that can be affected by inflation. And that is this treasure right here. The word of God has the ability to be affected by inflation. God's word, his scripture, it has so much value and it brings us so much joy. It's amazing how throughout the years, this treasure um, has been through so much scrutiny. And because it is such a treasure, it has become a threat to the enemy. He despises this and has for thousands of years has tried to destroy this, get rid of it. Uh, burn it, use other world leaders to erase it time and time again, all throughout world history. I mean, the stories, if you look through church history of how this has been preserved is just unbelievable. I don't have time to go into it. But even to this day, there are parts of the world like North Korea where if you're caught with this treasure, you will be imprisoned, you will be put into a work camp, even to death that will happen to you or to your family just because you're holding on to this word. It's a treasure. But to the enemy, it's a threat. However, what's been annoying for the enemy is that in other parts of the world, no matter how much he tried to burn it, erase it, and destroy it, it still stays 
true. It still stays strong. There's still freedom in it. And there are parts all around the world, like here in America, where you're, it's okay to have this treasure. It's okay to read this treasure. You're not going to go to prison for reading this treasure right now. And so because of that, the enemy is not dumb, and he is conniving and sneaky and is scheming. And so what he's done is the enemy has used the inflation, the spread of God's word, as a tool to deflate God's word. What do I mean by that? The enemy has used the inflation of God's word, the access, we have all this access to God's word, to deflate God's word. And that's because wherever you're watching, right, you can come to church or you're in your home and you have, you have Bibles maybe everywhere around your home. And maybe some of them are collecting dust or whenever you want. You can go online and, uh, you know, listen to a message or open up God's word. There's apps. I mean, you have access to commentaries, to research. I mean, the, there is so much information on the treasure of God's word at your fingers. Tips. There's so much access, but the enemy has used that to numb us to not actually access the book, to not actually dive in to the book. He's used that to keep us away from the book. Because, like, let's be honest, right? In our nature, we want what we don't have. But once we have what we didn't have, then it loses its luster, it loses its value and its treasure to us. But when you think about people in North Korea right now, when you hear the stories that when someone was able to rip a page out before it was taken from them, and then they're grabbing onto that page, literally consuming it, literally putting it in their mouth to hide it, and then taking it out to then memorize it, man, it is a treasure for them as they memorize God's word. Which brings up another point. The enemy has used the inflation of God's word to reduce the memorization of God's word. The enemy has used the inflation, the spread of God's word to reduce the memorization of God's word because we have so much of it. It's like, well, why do we really need it? Why do we really need to memorize it and hide it into our hearts? Now, what I want us to do as we close out the book of Philippians chapter 1, just this chapter in Philippians, I want us to go back and just remember Paul writing this in jail, in chains, God breathed in him, inspired, breathed in him, inspired in him. And then after he wrote it, then the letter began to circulate into the church of Philippi. And then it began to spread. And we have to remember, they didn't have a bunch of copies of this. There wasn't the printing press going around. Most of the people, if they had a chance and they actually had the scroll in that church, they would then read and people would hear. But a lot of times, you know, people didn't have that scroll, so they would go to the different church, get to hear the message, they would memorize it, and then bring it back to other churches. Because a lot of times, right, people back then couldn't read or couldn't write. And so I imagine, you know, just I want us to picture, you know, you know the early church maybe hearing the Philippian jailer reading this letter for the first time or uh, Lydia, the businesswoman, the ch uh, church leader, reading it for the first time to the church and them absorbing this. And so uh, the, I asked our staff last year to, I challenged them for us to memorize the book of Philippians and it was intense. And so I asked Susan, uh, one of our kids directors, to come and to just recite by memory Philippians chapter 1. And I just, we're, we're, no gimmicks here. She's not reading from a teleprompter, okay? This is going to be legit. Um, as she reads this and recites this to you, I want you to just 
don't open up God's word. Don't flip to it. Don't open up your Bible. I want you to pretend like you're in the early church. Maybe you can't read. Maybe you can't write. And the only way that you can get a taste of God's word is to hear it out of your ears and then grab it and put it in your mind and put it in your heart. So let's go back in time and just imagine hearing God's word is the only access that we have to it. Let's listen to God's word together. Philippians chapter 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you making my prayer with joy, for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For your partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless at the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness that come through Christ, to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has been made known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the truth without fear. Some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and with the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruit for labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This will be a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. Thank you for that, Susan. What a treasure it is to hear the reading of God's word being recited for us. And so as we kind of continue in our time, I want us to take this treasure of Philippians chapter 1 at the end of the chapter and pull out some specific treasures that we see within the ending of the chapter here. And first, in Philippians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23, it says this, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. 
Here we see Paul in chains. He's hard pressed. We see him literally dealing with attention because he doesn't know what his fate is. He doesn't know um, what his verdict is yet. He's literally preparing for death to come to him. But he's weighing the tension, right, mentally. If, if you knew that you were going to be potentially killed, right, you'd be weighing that emotion of, man, okay, to... to to, to, to die and then to be with Christ or to, or to stay. And so he's, he's kind of going back and forth with this, this treasure. And, and, and one of the treasures that we just want to stop and pull out here is the treasure that we get to have the security of knowing with Christ, if we put our faith in Jesus, right, that we have the security of the treasure and the hope of heaven. I mean, what a gift no more pain, no more sorrow, no more temptation, no more loneliness. The joy that we have and the security that we have only in Jesus, the treasure of heaven that is awaiting us. What a gift. Now, just a little side note here in this text. Uh, when he says, my desire is to part and be with Christ, this is a verse that brings up some theological, eschatological debate. Just a little side note, just for some fun. Uh, this brings up the debate of, I don't know if you've ever heard of the term soul sleep. Soul sleep is the idea of that when you die, you don't go directly to heaven. That you are in a state of unconscious like limbo, like you're in the matrix or something. And you don't have an understanding of time. You're just literally in a sleep mode. And then at the end, when the final trumpet rings, when Jesus comes back, then you will open up your eyes, okay? And so there's a lot of debate in this. And this comes from, you know, First Thessalonians chapter 4 when it talks about the second coming of Jesus. And it says that, the, that those that are dead in the grave will rise first, then those who are left on the earth will go into heaven. Uh, but then you also have the other arguments, right? That uh, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Or when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he told one of the thieves on the cross, because of his belief, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Not tomorrow, but today. Now, again, this is kind of a whole like huge little um, you know, theological, eschatological argument, but we also know that in Second Peter it talks about to God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day to God. So does God have the ability to bend and stretch and manipulate time? Yeah. So no matter what the actual answer is, here's what I think brings me hope because no matter what, when we die, whether we're in sleep mode for a thousand years or 10,000 years, and then all of a sudden we open up our eyes, it doesn't matter because in the blink of a second, whether it's right in that moment or God figures out a whole other dimension of time where we all wake up at the same time. I mean, all that being said, in the snap of a finger, we will be absent and we will be present with him because of how big and awesome our God is. We can rest on that truth. little side note, but uh, we'll kind of keep going from there. But the treasure is, is that we know that when we die, the treasure that we will be in his presence, what a treasure and a gift that we have. So he continues, 
It says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So again, he's dealing with this tension to should I stay or should I go now kind of a thing. Um, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So here we see Paul talking about the treasure that it is. There's a couple of treasures we're going to highlight here. One of the treasures is that literally how we have the fruitful opportunity. One of the treasures is that we get to see the progress and other people experience the joy and faith in the Lord. I mean, what a treasure that we all have the opportunity to have is when we get to help people move towards God and we get to see it and the treasure that that is for us here on earth. But not only that, as we're doing that, we are also, as it said earlier in the text, that we are literally uh, producing fruit. It's a fruit of labor. And this is a treasure that Paul points out to us that sometimes we can forget that this is the only time in our lifetime This is the only time of all of eternity that we have the ability to produce fruit. We can only produce the fruit of helping people come to know Christ and helping them on their journey when we're here on earth. Because once you get to heaven, producing fruit like that stops because there's no one to reach. There's no unbelievers. Everyone already knows. And so we literally, this is him reminding us that we get to take advantage of this literal once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for us to store up treasures in heaven. Because you'll never get that chance again. Isn't that interesting to think about? This is the only time you will have the opportunity to store up treasures in heaven by helping people move towards God. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19, don't worry about storing treasures up here because they're just going to be destroyed. But store up treasures in heaven. And so here's a question. How are you storing up treasure in heaven? It's a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. What does that look like for you in your life when it comes to storing up treasure in heaven? The text continues in verse 27. He says, only, or in that Greek word there is above all, only, above all, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. I highlighted the concept of striving side by side because this is a reminder that the whole concept of of the gospel is not a one man or a one woman show. The importance of the church and other churches that are standing together side by side in unity fighting for the gospel. And so I just pause for a moment and just I'm so thankful for the other gospel Jesus-centered churches right here in our city of Detroit that are fighting to share the hope of Jesus with our city. So thankful uh, for all of our other great gospel-centered churches in the area. But one of the other things I just wanted to stop and highlight is up here is when it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Um, In in that phrase there that I highlighted, there's a Greek word that kind of gets looked over uh, with the different uh, translations. And the one word there is this phrase called polytethome. Polytethome, which is this idea where we get our word politics. But I don't want you to think American politics. This was the idea of conducting oneself 
to the rule of their country, to where they live. Uh, that you are a great citizen and you understand the rules and the laws of your citizenship. I like how the New Living Translation says it. That says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. No matter who's watching, no matter who's looking around, that you would live your life conducting yourself as a citizen of heaven. So God already knows your eternal address. And so it's interesting to think that we are already, we already have our green card, if you will, as Jesus followers to be citizens of heaven. And so the question is, is it's so important, right? Any citizen of heaven should know the laws, should know uh, what it looks like to be a citizen. Just like if you're a citizen of the United States, you know how to conduct yourselves, you know the rules, you know the laws, you know your national anthem, you know the Pledge of Allegiance. And so in the same way, one of the ideas that this, this scripture is talking about is for us to uh, make sure that we know the law, that we know the treasure of God's word. So this is kind of coming full circle here of the importance of us memorizing God's treasure in our hearts, to actually know it. It's hard to be a good citizen of heaven here on earth if you don't know this. And so the question is, is what does it look like? How are you memorizing the treasure of God's word? Do you have a specific plan maybe this year? What does it look like for you to start chewing on different pieces and portions of God's word to hide in your heart so that you may not sin against him and that your conduct would be worthy for the gospel of Jesus Christ? I go in like cycles all the time with this. Sometimes I get really good at memorizing scripture and then it's been like months. I'm like, man, I should probably memorize it. It's just so important for us to do this. And so what I really want to encourage you to do wherever you're watching if you're driving and listening, this will be tough to do, so you have to circle back. But I'm going to put up Philippians 1.29. We'll put up Philippians 1.29, and we're going to put it in the New Living Translation. And my hope is that you will memorize this scripture. So grab a note card, grab a pen, and I just want you to write this down. Don't take a picture. Like literally, it's important when we actually write things down because when we write it down, it helps us to remember it. So here's this Philippians 1.29. To have hidden in our hearts, so important. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Write that down. Get that memorized. And as you're writing that down, I want to give you a little bit of a context of what this means. It says that you have been given. That word given in the original Greek language is you've been granted. Uh, that you've been graciously uh, or generously, um, um, that you've been generously, graciously given, granted, all of that put together, the privilege of trusting in Christ. I mean, it, it's, it's reminding us of the treasure of our ability of actually getting to the point where our wires in our brain cross with our heart to actually surrender our will and trust in Jesus to be our Savior. It's pausing us there, that privilege that we actually understand that. And oftentimes when I read this passage and I think about the privilege it is of me trusting Jesus, I can't help but think about like my neighbors down the street that it hasn't crossed their mind yet. They haven't gotten to the point where it doesn't click for them for some reason. I mean, what a privilege it is for, like why me sometimes I ask, God, like why did you open up my mind and not them down the street? Why me? And so 
It's, it's this treasure, right? But not only that, we've been granted the privilege of trusting in Christ, but then it says that we've also been granted and given graciously the privilege of suffering for Christ. That seems just like a little weird of a statement, right? Like when does suffering a good thing? But Paul's reminding us that when we suffer for the sake of Christ, the gift and the treasure that it is to suffer for the sake of Christ. Now, I'm not talking about self-inflicted suffering where you kind of put yourself into that situation, or I'm not talking about you going and standing on the corner with a megaphone, telling people, you know, trying to condemn them, and then they're persecuting you and calling you crazy. Because, you know, if you're doing that, you probably are crazy just a little bit, because that's not the best effective way to reach people. But we're talking about like real suffering because of your faith in Jesus. And in our context today, it can look many different ways. Maybe for some of you, that means you're just getting made fun of because of your faith in Jesus. Or maybe that means that you're being left out of specific gatherings or you're being isolated specifically or you're being excommunicated from your family because of your belief. Constantly the butt of the jokes. Maybe it's you not getting the role at the school play or getting the position on the ball field because or maybe not getting the grade in the class because your teacher knows of your beliefs and is completely trying to deflate you. Maybe it's you not getting the promotion at the job. Maybe it's you literally getting let go and getting fired because of your belief in Jesus. That's in our context. But in other parts of the world, suffering for Christ and other parts of the world for right now, at least, right now at least, which could change, But right now, suffering means, as we talked about our brothers and sisters in North Korea who literally are in work camps, that means that their families are being separated, that means that their daughters are being raped, that means a bunch of other horrific things, even to the point of death. And Paul is reminding us that as long as we're here on earth, we live and we fight for the gospel to be spread, longing for heaven. And he's reminding us that it's a privilege if it comes to encourage yourself in the midst of that suffering, that it is a privilege and it is a joy and a treasure that we get to suffer for Christ. May we keep this passage in our hearts for when we face suffering, we have this hidden in our heart that will then come out of us at the right time to encourage us to fight through and stand up during our times of suffering. Last thing, if it doesn't make any sense for you to suffer for Jesus, if you don't completely understand or have gotten to the point to believe why Jesus suffered for you and You might be asking, yeah, I don't know why Jesus suffered for me. Here's why. Because all of us can't escape that we've all fallen short and we've all messed up. We've all sinned. And because of that, it separated us from God. And so God wanted to solve that problem. And so he did. And so that's why he sent his one and only son, Jesus, here on this earth. And Jesus came here on this earth to suffer. And he died a criminal's death, a horrific death on a cross, suffering for the sins of the world, including yours and including mine, paying the penalty for our sin once and for all so that you didn't have to or I didn't have to. 
And so that's why he suffered on the cross, but it didn't stop there. Three days later, he rose from the dead and it changed everything, conquering death once and for all to give us hope, to give us life. And the scriptures are so clear that all who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. If you call upon the name of Jesus and believe in your heart why he suffered for you and rose again for you, that you will be saved. And when that finally clicks, it's a privilege. It's an unbelievable treasure that you get to hold on to for your eternity. And so if you've never understood that or have never received Jesus and called upon Jesus to save you, then man, I wanna give you that opportunity right now. So wherever you're listening, wherever you're watching, just, just close your eyes, bow your, bow your head, and just you can say this prayer of belief to the Father. Just say, Father, I believe. I don't understand it all, but I believe. I believe that you suffered for me, for my sin. Thank you. Just thank him for that. Thank you. Thank you for suffering for me. Thank you for rising again for me. And then just say this right now, I receive you, Jesus, into my life. Right now, I receive you, Jesus, to be the king of my life. As we continue to pray, my friend, if you truly meant that, the scripture is so clear that you will no longer perish, that you will no longer have eternal suffering, but now you will have everlasting life, a life full of paradise and presence with the one who loves you, with the one who created you, with the one who saved you. Father, thank you so much for the treasure that you've given us with the ability to trust you, to be our savior. What a gift. We love you and we pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, if you've made a decision to receive Jesus as your savior, we want to encourage you not to walk alone. Just, you can text the word at the number on the screen there and we would just love to celebrate with you and then answer any questions uh, that you might have. And just want to encourage you through this week, take that verse, Philippians chapter one, verse 29, get it written down, put it in your car, put it in the bathroom, begin to memorize it, hide it in your heart because you'll never know when you'll need that verse in that time for your life.